The rest of us can open our copy of God's Word to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll be in chapter 2 this morning. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that's 986 in the Bibles that we provide for you. So if you picked up one of those Bibles, page 986. Well, uh, let me welcome you again to the gathering of Redemption Hill Church. My name is Tanner Turley. I serve as uh, our lead pastor, and it's my joy to share uh, God's Word with you here today. If you are new to Redemption Hill, we would love for you to take a moment at some point in the sermon, maybe one of the boring spots, uh, just to fill out the connect card at the bottom of the, uh, the worship guide that you received when you walked in or, or at the end of the service whenever. Hopefully this sermon is not boring. I'll do my best to eliminate that uh, reality. But, um, but we'd love for you just because we value relationships at Redemption Hill. And so we would love for you to take some time to let us know uh, how you found out about us and, and, and uh, that you're here today. Well, uh, as, we, as we move into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're continuing this series we're calling Symphony, A Diverse Unity. And uh, as we celebrate mothers today, and I just appreciate Pastor John's uh, prayer there and, and, and wanting to honor moms and, and celebrate moms and meet moms and women right where they are, no matter, this is what, you need to hear this today, God knows where you are. He knows where you are, and he is going to meet you right where you are as you open your heart to him. And so whether today is a great day of celebration, whether today is a difficult day for you, our God cares. And that's what this message is uh, about in very, very large part today. Uh, but, but as you know, God in his uh, wisdom has chosen to bring every person on the planet into this world through women who become mothers. And so not only do we owe our very existence first to God, but then through God, to, through our moms, that gift of motherhood, uh, but also in his mysterious ways, God chose to bring the Redeemer and Savior of our world to us through a mother named Mary. And so as we think about moms today, we can see how God values mothers and God values families. And as we've discussed the past couple of weeks and and touched on, but today to make it very explicit, God wants the relationships that we enjoy in life, not just in our nuclear families, but in the family relationships known as the church, the family of God. He wants us to relate to one another like family. And so I think as we think about what this can look like, the question then becomes, okay, God, if this is your design for us and families are diverse and everyone has different personalities and and different preferences and and different styles, how can we then operate as a family in a harmonious and effective way? And I think Paul's wisdom from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is really going to help us with this, okay? So what I want to do, we're going to focus in on verses 7 through 12, but I want to read 1 through 12 to give you the context of what's going on as Paul is writing to these uh, believers in Jesus Christ in this ancient city known as Thessalonica, okay? So if you would, listen closely or follow along with me as I read these for us. This is what Paul says. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. 
But though we had already suffered and been safely treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to, to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness." Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made the bands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So as we think about diverse relationships and living like a family in the church, I want to give you three principles, three truths that arise that we see out of this, this section where Paul is talking about how he related to these fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And the first truth is, is this, diverse relationships call for diverse action, all right? Diverse relationships call for diverse action. And we see Paul is, is, is defending the integrity of his ministry, the sincerity of his ministry. Um, what you need to know is that in the first century, okay, the, there was no Boston Red Sox, the Patriots, the Celtics, the Bruins, okay? Um, they had some forms of entertainment and games, but not, no Netflix, come on. I mean, like, so, so guess what? Believe it or not, people would gather together to hear speakers, and this was part of the entertainment of the day. So, so people were professional speakers, and they uh, gathered acclaim and notoriety and popularity just by being able to command the attention of a crowd. And so there were some people that began to hear the gospel and like, hey, this is kind of catching on. There's kind of a gathering around this message. And so some people started to tell others about Jesus and they didn't even know Jesus. And then there were some who knew Jesus, but they were jealous of Paul. And so they started uh, preaching Christ really to kind of out of envy of Paul. He talks about this in the book of Philippians. And so what Paul is doing here is he's saying, look, when I came to serve you, when I came to risk my life to bring you the gospel, 
When people ran us out of town to the point that we had to get out of there and they came to the house of Jason who we were staying with and they said these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also proclaiming another king, Jesus. Paul's saying, look, when, when we were there and we were telling you about Christ, it wasn't to flatter you and it wasn't to, so, so that people would applaud us. And it wasn't because we, we wanted you to, to pay us for our work. He's saying it was all out of a sincerity of heart. It was out of a, a love for you. And then he goes on to explain how he loved them. How he and Silas and Timothy loved them. And he brings in this metaphor of family, so appropriate. He says, first, like a mother. So there are times, there are times, and this is for all of us, right? Not just for moms. I mean, moms, I hope this encourages you today, right? But this is for all of us, no matter our age, no matter our gender. There are times that God will call us in a given situation to love like a caring, affectionate mother. There's a tenderness and a warm affection about a mom and how mothers love their children. And, and this imagery here is, is, is very specific and careful. Paul uh, talks about not just a mother, but a nursing mother. A mother who has an infant who is dependent on her for nutrients and just being sustained in life itself. The intimacy, the care that, that comes in those moments as a baby is growing up. To be weaned off of milk into solid food. This is the picture that he gives us. And so let's think about this, this metaphor a, a bit. When, when Paul is, is talking about uh, a, a, a nursing mother taking care of her own children, let's just stop and pause and think about this, okay? And he's saying, this is how I was relating to you. H how many of you know that mothers have a difficult job? Can, can we just, can just kind of, yeah, it's pretty, you know, it's not an easy job. And, and so as we think about a nursing mother, how this works, it, like babies know how to get what they want. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we have a nine-month-old, and, and this guy, uh, now he has a cold and he couldn't breathe super well last night, so that was part of the problem. But, but this guy was up multiple times, and, and not to say that dad doesn't help, I, I, I help. You know, I try to help. I help. Um, but, 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 you know, I, I had to punch the clock this morning, you know. So Saturday night is mommy's night, even though mommy's day is the next day. And so, um, so Marsha is up 2 a.m., 4 a.m., 4.30. He's back. Like, and, and, that's, and that's the nature of a nursing mother. What, what's the point? Paul is saying that he, that he is wrapping his life around their needs. He is conforming who he is to who they are. He's adjusting his life. He's adjusting his schedule. He's adjusting his priorities. He's sacrificing his own time. He's sacrificing of his own needs to, to meet the demands that they have. And so moms do not have an easy job. They are constantly pouring out care. They're constantly pouring out affection. They're, they're constantly pouring out provision for their children. It means I think about uh, how this works in our, our own house. Um, I, I just, I just want to, at the, the outset, can, can we just all say together, moms are amazing? Can we just say that? 
Oh, come on now. That was, that, that was good. Let's give it one more time. Come on. Moms are amazing. Hey, and if you haven't, this is always a privilege. Every Mother's Day, whoever's preaching, you know, this is just a pastoral move that we need to care for you today, okay? If you haven't called your mom, call your mom, all right? If you haven't, that was kind of supposed to be funny. You guys feeling, you guys are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Like, oh man, I need to call my mom. Pastor Tanner said so. If you haven't got your mom a Mother's Day present or written her a card, one day ship it or something. You know, I'm just like, we got we to gotta care for our moms. Moms are amazing. And, and, and how does it like, not to denigrate or demean the role of fathers in the lives of children by any stretch. We're going to talk about fathers in a minute. But in, in our home, there is a distinction in the way that my kids relate to me and the way that my kids relate to Marsha. And I think one of the evidences of this, if you just stepped into our home for a day and you were to, to just measure out the word count of how many times my children, Parkerton, Kessid, eight in a couple weeks, Jordan just turned five Friday, happy birthday, Jordan, Titus, nine months, he can't talk yet, but the first word is going to be mama, all right? So, so how many times they're saying, mommy, 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 can I have a snack? No, not right now. One minute later, mommy, can I have a snack? Where's mommy? When's mommy going to get home? Mommy's been gone so long. And then it's, you know, like the Jordan especially, oftentimes she just like Marcia's shadow. You know, she just like travel, traveling behind her, wherever, upstairs, downstairs, kitchen, living room. Just... And I'm just like, do I even count around here? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I brought you into this world too. I know you're only five years old, but I'm about to explain to you how that works, all right? Because I need some credit around here. <laughs> oh, help me, Lord. All right. This, this is how it works so often, right? And why is that? I mean, yes, my kids know how much I love them, and yes, I care for them in affectionate and tender ways, and but, but from their earliest moments of life, they're looking up and they're seeing a mother's love, a mother's eyes, a mother's touch. They're hearing a distinction in, in, a, in a father's voice and a mother's voice. They know that when they have needs or concerns, they can come to mom. This is not just at a young age, right? I mean, this is as, as we go, as, one of, the, one of the beauties that needs to be highlighted today is that, that mothering never stops. I'm 38 years old, and when I talk to my mom at night, often you need to go to bed soon. You need to get your rest. You know, my mom is still momming me at 38, and this isn't going to stop, you know? And so we should have the utmost respect for mothers and the way that they care and show affection to us as their children. So Paul is, Paul is saying, like a mother cares for her children, that's how much we cared for you. We loved you like that. We poured out concern and care day after day after day. We were gentle among you. We didn't make demands. We related to you in a humble and loving way. 
And as we, as we think about love, really, verse 8 begins to highlight the holistic nature of how we are to love one another in our relationships. Okay, so moms, be encouraged as this is seen in your lives. Pray that it's increasingly true of you, but this is for all of us as we seek to love one another as family in Christ, all right? What does Paul say? He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. There are four words or phrases that capture the holistic nature of Paul's love for them. Number one, he says he's affectionately desirous. Affection speaks to the love that he had for them. His desire was how he wanted to be with them. And then he says, not only did we share the gospel, we we told you the news about Jesus, but we also shared our lives. They took action. So so there's there's love, there's desire, there's action. And then he says, because you had become very dear to us. This, I think, gets to the emotions or the feelings that we should have toward one another. And so in this this example that, that Paul gives... It helps us see how God has made us to love one another in every relationship, okay? And I want to show you how this works. God made us to know him, to love him, and to worship him with our lives, our entire lives. We have not done that. In various ways, and and perhaps this is your story today, maybe your story is you've never really, truly surrendered your life over to God and said, God, you were not like number three in my life. You were not number five or six. You're not even number two. You're number one. The fundamental problem of every human heart is we elevate stuff or relationships or pursuits over the rightful place of God. Perhaps, perhaps the idol in your life today are your children. And God is saying, I, I, didn't, I didn't make you, I didn't, I didn't create you to be a mom. I gave that to you as a gift, but I created you first and foremost to, to know me and to love me and to worship me. And so because of our sin, because of us saying, God, I have a good plan, a better plan than your plan, what happens is that the the fall, our sinfulness, it affects every part of us. So that now, check this out, we do not think like God thinks, we do not want what God wants, we do not love what he loves, we do not feel what he feels, and we do not act as he acts. But the beautiful part about salvation and him sending Jesus Christ for us on our behalf is that as we say yes to God through Christ and we receive the gift of salvation and we're reconciled back to God and we put him, not number two, four, or six, but we put him number one, then God brings new life to our souls to where he is now changing how we think, changing what we want, changing what we love, changing what we feel, and changing how we act. And this is the kind of holistic love that he's inviting us into. It's not, listen, it's not just behavior. Oh, I get so passionate about how we truncate the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, and we think that Christianity is about a a set of do's and don'ts. 
Like, like it's about like, it's just like a kind of a, 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 a seminar of like how to act better um, so that you can either please God or you can look good before other people or you can, you can find satisfaction in life. It's about so much. God, listen, I can, I can give you a piece of bread and hope you choke on it. God cares about the heart. He cares about our desires, our feelings toward one another, how we're actually truly loving one another, the affection that we feel. It's not just about showing up today. This is what I love about our church, okay? I think that when people come, they, they feel, we hear this all the time, man, there's people who are so loving, they're so welcoming, they're so genuine, they're sincere. Thank you, church. Let's keep being this kind of family that is displaying the love of God so that people can see who he is. But I want to zoom in on this idea of action. Paul, Paul says it very, very clearly. He's, he's talking about sharing the gospel and his sincerity in that. But he says, look, I didn't, we didn't just come to share the gospel. We came to share ourselves. We came to share our very lives with you. And so it's not just like show up, do a job, give a message, get out of there. It's show up, spend some time, share the message, sit down, relate, get to know one another, talk about what, what happened to you uh, back in Philippi when they almost beat me to death. And that might cause some like doubts or struggles to rise up in my soul. So, so there, there, was a, there, was, there was more than just a, a job being executed. By the way, uh, we, we would love, even this is your first night, we would love for you to stick around at Redemption Hill. But wherever God sends you, please, please, please do not go to a church or stay at a church where the leaders are there to do a job, but they do not love people. Leadership begins with the force of one's character. And the greatest characteristic of our character should be love. But love is risky business. Love is risky business. To, 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 to let people in, to share not just, not just some words, but to share life together. It requires a level of vulnerability. And to be vulnerable with someone's mean you run the risk of being hurt. You open yourself up. You, you share trusted information, trusted feelings. You, you, you love at the risk of not being loved in return. You serve, 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 and, and then like, people don't even seem to appreciate it, much less serve you in return. Like, C.S. Lewis has a really great word about love and vulnerability in his book, The Four Loves. This is what he says. There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one not even to an animal. 
Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in a in safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Wow. God made us to love. He made us to love one another. He made us to risk being hurt, wounded, and broken. But, 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 but here's, the, here's, the, here's the beauty of just understanding life from God's perspective, okay? And this is, what, this is what I hope frees us up to live like family this week. So that when we get together, hopefully maybe in groups on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday night, or Sunday night, or as we're getting together outside of groups and just doing life together and checking in and caring for one another and bearing one another's burdens and encouraging one another and all of those one another's that we see in, in the scriptures, that we're really, we're really sharing life. We're really letting one another get in on, on the, real, the real me, the real you. This is what will help you do it. Number one, it's understanding that, that the world we live in is broken. That's what I just explained. We're, this world is broken because our relationship with, with God is broken. That's the consequence. So Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Guess what? Every person in this room has trouble, like right now. There's not one person in this room whose life is perfect. That's why it might sound cliche, but we we like to say it's okay to not be okay. Because deep down, no one's okay. We all have junk. They're all, whether it's us and just our own emotions or, 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 or spiritual lives before God or, or someone around us like, that's going through difficulty, we all experience brokenness. And we are all broken. None of, none of us have arrived. And so, and so do you see that when you remember that, when you remember that their life is not perfect, nor are they perfect, that that opens up a world of possibilities to say, look, the gospel tells us that the, the field has been leveled. It's been absolutely leveled. That, 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 that you were not perfect, I am not perfect, that you have sin in your life, I have sin in my life, that you have broken, that your job sometimes stinks and you know you, your neighbors get on your nerves and you know it's just like, this is life. It's life under the sun. And that understanding hopefully can allow us to then get into one another's lives and really share what's going on with one another as fellow travelers on a journey. But then also, not only does the gospel tell us that we're not perfect, but we're broken people, but the gospel frees us to love like God has loved us. The gospel compels both vulnerability and giving a love that can bring healing and wholeness to someone else. And why is that? It's because the most vulnerable act the world has ever known was a man hanging on a cross outside of Jerusalem, offering his love to the world knowing that 
many, 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 both in that moment, spitting on him and rejecting him and mocking him and shaming him, would not only reject him then, but they would reject him going forward. So it's the gospel. It's the gospel that frees us up to to share our lives with one another. How are you going to do that this week? Diverse relationships call for diverse action. Paul goes on and he says, not just like a mother, but like a father. Look at verse uh, 11. He says, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. At times we need tender care and affection, and at times we need strong, authoritative encouragement. I think back to uh, what this looked like in my uh, family. And, and again, this is not just like dads are only encouraging and moms are only caring and affectionate. That's not what Paul's saying. But he's talking about characteristically so often this is what we receive from a mom or from a father. The fathers are also often the ones that are coming alongside and encouraging and directing and giving guidance in life. And so, so Paul is saying, look, like sometimes we need a hug but sometimes we need a halftime speech. And for those of you that know my story, my, my dad was a coach. Now he's a Hall of Fame coach. Come on, Coach Turley. Uh, and uh, hey, it's Mother's Day, but let's celebrate my dad. That's fine. Uh, so, um, you know, halftime speeches, my sophomore year, I, I, didn't get to, I was on the varsity team, but I didn't get to play because we were super good and I was, you know, freshman. Uh, but my sophomore year... I, uh, I happen to be the best player on the team, and I happen to be um, the one that my dad, I was also the point guard, so I was, you know, by fault kind of uh, default leader of, you know, the team in, in a couple of respects. And so what would happen is when the, when the first half did not go well, everyone's running into the locker room, and I would hear this familiar voice behind me, Tanner! which meant that my dad wanted to give me a halftime speech before he gave all of us a halftime speech. And just because I got that first halftime speech didn't mean I was exempt from the next halftime speech, okay? So, so there was a lot of exhorting and encouraging, even to the point where just to share a bit of our story, my dad would tell you this if he was here, uh, he, he felt bad that, you know, like he singled me out so often. I mean, believe me, I expected it. This is just like I knew it was coming, coming with the territory. He was going to be harder on me than he was the rest of the team, and, and I didn't really think that was unfair. I, I, I kind of enjoyed it. Well... Not all the time, but you, 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 get, the, you get the idea. But, but, but listen, why did it, that bother him? It really didn't bother me. Why? Because I knew that he loved me. I knew that he wanted my best. I knew that he wanted the best for the team. And so there would be halftime speeches that he would be, son, go help your mom. Hey, Tanner, you, you, you're, not, you're not giving everything you've got. You can do a better job than that. I needed to hear that from my dad. And I love how Paul says this. He, he says in verse 12, we exhorted each one of you, encouraged you, and charged you. This idea of each one of you. That Paul's love and, and how we should love one another in family relationships is we, we care about each individual person. We meet people where they are. We, we don't, we don't this, this is where we're going to get into to, to the, to the next uh, point in truth, um, is, is that diverse action at diverse times, requires God's wisdom. And why is that? Is because 
At times, people may need the, the nurturing, gentle, tender, caring, affectionate presence or words like a mother. And there are times where we need the, the, the strong, exhortative, encouraging, directive words of a father. And, and the same person may need two different approaches on two different days or two different approaches on the same day, right? So it's, it's, about, it's about understanding where each person is and then applying the wisdom of God to each and every situation. And so as we think about diverse action at times, uh, diverse times requiring God's wisdom, let's just back up for a minute and ask, what is wisdom? Okay? And, and a few different ideas or definitions here, okay? Number one, a very simple definition is, you might want to write this down, wisdom is knowledge applied to the glory of God. Okay, so it's taking what we know and, and, and putting it into practice, putting, putting it on the ground with the aim of worshiping God and glorifying him. Anthony Savaggio says this, wisdom is an ability to make good decisions based on knowledge and then act on those decisions in a way that's effective and makes a difference. And to give you another idea, this is, this is a much more theological, but I think it'll have to help us at a practical level as we think about differentiating how we should live like family, okay? This is from Wayne Groom's book, Systematic Theology. And he says, in so many words, I'm going to paraphrase, he says that God's wisdom is God's ability to get to his appointed ends by his appointed means. You see that? God has a goal. God has a vision, that's what he's after, but God also has wisdom to know how to get to his vision. That's wisdom. And you're saying, like, help me connect the dots. Just think about the cross of Christ. Who would have drawn it up? And yet, God's intended means to accomplish our salvation came through a very unexpected way in, in, in the cross of Christ. And so we need, we need a wisdom to apply in each and every situation to know how to relate to one another. You say, well, Tanner, help me, help me, help me get there. Help, give me a few handles on this, okay? I want to give you a few handles. Number one, know the situation, all right? Know the situation that, that you're stepping into, the circumstances, what's going on in a person's life, where they are, okay? So this takes some time. This takes some asking some good questions, The situation will influence how we respond. This is part of what Proverbs 26 is, is saying in verses 4 and 5 when it says this. And like people who are skeptics or don't believe in Christ often will throw up these verses like, see, the Bible contradicts itself. Yeah, not really. Not at all. Not at all. This is, listen to what it says. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then the next verse says the exact opposite. An apparent contradiction. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So, so in one instance, you don't answer him like he's, you don't act like he's acting because you don't want to be like him yourself. But on the other hand, you, you, you sometimes do answer him according to his folly to help him see how foolish he really is. See that? So you know the situation and you also know the person. Not only know your, the situation, but know the person. 
Again, the same person may have two different needs and need two different messages on two different days. If we flip to chapter 5 in 1 Thessalonians, we would see Paul say this. He, he says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. We relate differently based on how a person's doing and where they are in their life in those moments. You say, well, Tanner, like, how... how Will I know? How, how, will I, how will I have God's wisdom to be able to act motherly or act fatherly in those moments? And a framework that we really appreciate from a book called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands by Paul Tripp, he, he gives this framework that's this titled Love, uh, No Love Speak Do. Okay, let me say that again. No Love Speak Do. All right, so if you want to write those down. No Love Speak speak, do. It all starts with knowing. We have to know what's going on in their lives. And listen, we cannot know. This is, this, is so, this is so obvious, but it just needs to be said again and again because we don't naturally always gravitate toward one another. How we get to know one another is by actually spending time together. We have to get proximate. We have to get close enough to one another's lives that we hear what's going on so that we can know how to pray, know how to encourage. Man, maybe if, if, if I know that you just had like a really terrible week and you say something that's foolish, I'm going to probably respond differently and show a ton more grace and patience knowing that you're weak versus, man, you're just being foolish. And so ongoing relationships are super crucial. We know, we love, we speak, we do. So, so know the situation, know the person, but then most importantly, know your God. Know your God. Because how, how is it in a friendship? How is it in, in, a, in a relationship, a marriage, or in parenting that we'll know how to approach in any given situation or what to say in any given situation. And I think we just have to be comfortable with our weaknesses and get into the habit of saying, God, I do not know what to do right now, and I need your wisdom. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So we ask God. Just, just ask God. Tomorrow when you get to work, ask God for some wisdom. This afternoon when you're, when you're interacting with, with family, ask God for some wisdom. Because this afternoon, just because it's Mother's Day doesn't mean it's going to be a perfect day. You know what I'm saying? So ask for wisdom. These, these kind of questions. God, does my kid need a hug or a halftime speech? God, does my kid need a hug and then a halftime speech? Or a halftime speech and then a hug. Or a hug and halftime speech and then a hug. Having some fun here. God, what should I do? What's the, what's the question that I could ask them that would really uncover what's going on here? Should I, should I raise my voice? You can raise your voice without verbally abusing someone, by the way. You have to be careful, right? But, but I can speak in a stern way to my children 
where it's maybe not super conversational level, but it's also not like bedtime level? Should I, should I raise my voice? Should I soften my voice? A gentle answer turns away wrath. What's the best form of discipline that will help them see the seriousness of their actions? Listen to this one. Do, do, we, do, we, do we think about this one? Do we ask God for this? What word can I share from your word that will help them point them to you? Moms, dads, friends. Ask God for wisdom. Keep, keep putting your face in God's book and, and soaking up his wisdom. This is what we have to offer people. And so know the, know the situation, know the person, but know your God. I, I, love, like, I love when people come to me for wisdom. I mean, sometimes I think it's funny, you know, there's like so many other good options out there, uh, even in this church. Um, but, but, but I love it because it's an opportunity to point that person to the God who cares for them so much more than I do. So when you're talking about decision-making, we're talking about what's going on next in life, and, and it's, it's just so frequently we're having these conversations. I love to tell people two things. Number one, God is your good shepherd. I'm so confident in God that he loves you and he cares for you, and he's going to lead you in the path that he wants you to go. He's going to give you his wisdom to get to his appointed ends that he's destined for you by his appointed means. But then also, number two, for as many that are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Did you hear that? For as many who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What does that mean? That means if you have the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need to live your life. That doesn't negate the importance and the call for wisdom and counsel and, and, and how, how wise that is to seek wisdom from others. But it's just saying, like, God has, God has given you his spirit. He's given you everything you need to parent well. He's given you his word. He's given you spirit. That's all you need to be a great parent and to be a great counselor to others. So diverse Relationships. Call for diverse action. Diverse action at diverse times requires God's wisdom. And then, and then let me just wrap up with this, okay? Diverse action at diverse times is, is leading to one unified goal, all right? So, so, so there's, there's diversity in how we're relating, but, but, but in Christ, what I love is that we're all going after the same goal. And this is where Paul drives the whole thing in verse 12. He says, we exhorted you and encouraged you and charged you to what? Walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. If we were to kind of translate this out very woodenly, it means like very close to what the Greek text actually says um, as it was given to us, you, that you might continue walking worthily of the God who is calling you into his kingdom and glory. And so, so what, is, what is Paul doing here? He's saying, look, God is the goal. God is the priority. He made you to live for him. And so as we relate to one another, no matter if it's a mother moment or a father moment or, or, or just a great friend moment, whatever, whatever it is, 
The goal is that we would walk worthy of God, that we would light him up, that we would do everything that we do to honor him. As John shared with us last week from Colossians 3.17. And so I just want to propose this. Can you imagine what will happen in our church when this becomes our greatest concern? This is our greatest concern. How is this person doing, doing with God? Is this person prioritizing God in their life? What, what happens when the majority of our time spent praying for one another is not about stuff? I mean, it's great to pray about stuff. God cares about all the stuff in our life. He cares about every temporal need, every challenge, physically, emotionally. Like, he cares about it all. But the thing that he cares about most is our personal worship of him. How much time are we spending praying for one another that we would walk worthy of our God? And, and I love how Paul does this. He, he not only tells them the goal, goal, but he loads it with encouragement and vision behind it. He says that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Do you see that? Here's the goal, walk worthy of God, but, but this God, do you see, is, is calling you, he's continuing to work in your life to bring you into his kingdom and his glory. That's vision on top of vision. I, I, just, I love how, how Paul is, is motivating them and he's encouraging them toward what he envisions for them. And he's saying, God is this good. God is with you. God is with you every moment. He is cheering you on. He is bringing you to a better place. There's a glory. Listen, there, I don't know if you're feeling it today. Are you guys feeling it? There is a glorious future for you in Christ. This is good news. I like wearing these shoes. They really make sense. Do you feel that? Do you feel it? Do you understand? Do you understand how much God cares about you? What he has for you? What, 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 what is your vision for your life, for our church, for your children? We just went on a leadership retreat uh, for the past few days with our staff and a few other uh, members in Redemption Hill. And, and, and in one of the kind of 30 to 45 minute windows of time, uh, I just posed the, this question, what are your dreams for like in light of our mission statement to glorify God by living out his mission as a community transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, what are your dreams? And we heard stuff like this, every person, that every person, that, every, that includes you. That includes you. That every person will be filled with the fullness of God to the point of overflowing. That the power of the gospel would heal all forms of brokenness, bringing transformation to all. Can we pray for the mothers of addicts today? Can we pray for the single moms in our church today? who have it a little bit tougher than probably the rest of us. Acts 2.47. You know what it says? It says that day by day, 
that, that, that God was adding more people to, to the, the more and more people were coming to Christ, the more and more people were discovering the good news, which, by the way, happens when we share the good news verbally, and that's how God has, has that's the ordained means to the end, day by day, happens because we share the message. But that day by day, that would be happening. Do you believe it's possible? Do you believe it? The same God. Did God change? I love this one. Pastor John threw this one out at the end. That our sending capacity as a church would be greater than our seating capacity. It means we're sending out people all over the world. We're sending out people to plant new churches all across greater Boston, all across North America. We're, we're willingly giving of our resources, not just dollars, but people. Saying, go, be on God's mission, wherever he wants to send you. Man, I love that there are 400 seats in this, in this auditorium, and I believe that God's going to fill them up, and it's not going to be long. But we want to fill it up, and we might fill it up again and again, but, but the point is that we're always wanting to be sending out and sending more eventually than we have right here in our midst. And so we could go on and on about dreams for Redemption Hill, but let me ask you what your dreams are for one another. Let me ask moms, what are, your, what are your dreams for your children? I think on a Mother's Day, I know it's like, moms, I know it's about you. And it should be. It should be. Let's make sure it's about them. But ultimately, it's, it's not. It's about, it's about him. It's about his dreams for you. It's about his dreams for your children. And so whether it's today, I know today might be full of fun and honor and celebration, I hope it is. But maybe tonight or maybe tomorrow, you can just kind of tuck away and find some space to spend with God and say, God, what are, what are your dreams for my kids? What dreams should I have for my children? What, what should I be praying for my kids? Is it for them to make a lot of money or to find the work that they love? Is it for them to live the American dream or to discover God's dreams? Is it, is it, is it you dreaming that they would uh, impact this world because they treasure God above everything? Is a dream for your children the prayer that you're praying, God, you do whatever you want to do with them, and this one can hurt, right? Like, I'm a dad, too, and, and Marsha's a mom, like... Send them wherever you want to send them. Send them wherever you want to send them. God's dreams for us, for our children. And so the, the call here, Paul's example, what he's, he's giving an example. He's, he's, he's welcoming us to imitate him as he imitates the Father heart of God and how God also as he even says in Isaiah, like a mother, I extend care and compassion to my children. He's calling us to live like family through his love and through his wisdom. And so what I want to do is I want to pray. I want to invite the music team to come back up and lead us in a final song of worship. But I just want to give you some space. Before I pray, I just want to give you some space to pray and, and, and 
Um, this, is, this is how it works, just a heads up, especially if you're new to maybe Christianity or hearing sermons coming to church. Um, and I'm just speaking out of personal experience, okay? We can hear a message. We can study the Bible. And, and we can rush into singing the next song and doing the next thing that what God was speaking to us in those moments is quickly forgotten. And so we have to fight. We have to fight for that not to happen. And by his grace and by his Holy Spirit, that won't happen as we turn our lives over to him. So I just want to, how about ask this question, God, what is the one thing? What is the one thing that I heard today from your word that I can take and to put into practice? No matter what your life stage is, no matter what's going on in your life, what's the one thing that I can take and I can run with to walk worthy of you who has invited me into the life that you intended for me through Jesus Christ? Would you just pray for a moment and then I'll lead us. Father, I thank you for this awesome group of people known as Redemption Hill Church. And thank you for your unceasing, undying love for us in Christ. God, I thank you that you have amazing plans and amazing vision, that vision namely for us to walk worthy of you, and that we actually get to help one another do that. What a privilege it is. Thank you, God. So, Father, as we, as we move out today, As we move out from what we've heard, Lord, would you take what you've taught us and really stamp it on our hearts? God, fill us with your dreams for one another, for our own lives, and especially for the lives of those around us, for our our children, Lord. Give us your heart. Give us your dreams. God, I pray for that, that mom that's saying, you know what, Pastor Tanner, that's, that's some decent wisdom right there. I, I, need to take, I, need to get, I need to find five minutes. I need to find 15 minutes. I need to find a couple of hours just to get alone and to pray and to seek you for your dreams for my children. God, I'm praying for that mom that maybe would say, you know what, uh, if I'm being honest, God, you have not been number one. You've, you've been number three or four or five, and, and even my children are so often number one, and God, you... You want me to turn that over to you and experience the fullness and the freedom that comes when we seek you first. God, I'm praying for that, 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 that uh, young man or young woman that's saying, you know what, I need to be more vulnerable. I need to share my life. Not just show up, but I need to share my life with the people around me. That thing that I've been holding on to that eats away at me. I need someone to come alongside of me and bear that burden with me. I need someone to encourage me. God, whatever it is, whatever step that you're leading us to take, Lord, would you give us the strength to do it? And then so, God, that we can celebrate together and we can point one another to you and say, look at what God did again and again and again. Thank you for being a great God. We lift our eyes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.